Hello and welcome back to Video Store Nightmares, the podcast where we discuss the strange, the bizarre, and the satanic films of the VHS era. Tonight we are talking about, uh, this is a special movie, we are talking about the 1976 film The Demon Lover, also known as The Devil Master and Coven, at the very least. It may have other titles, Um, but this was the first film uh, co-directed by Don G. Jackson, who we are going to talk so much about. Um, but you may be a fan of his. Uh, this is where it all started. My name is Luke, and I'm joined by Leland. Listeners, if you've been joining us with any regularity, you know that Satan is no stranger to our podcast. And tonight's film is yet another portrayal of the truly time-honored tradition of sacrificing your friends and loved ones for the promise of forbidden power. As of this broadcast, you can find 1976's The Demon Lover, aka The Devil Master, and like five other names for free on YouTube. And that's as far as I looked because there's at least three different uploads. So this is not a hard find. Luke, I was curious just how many episodes we have dedicated to Satan's glory. Just a guess, how many episodes do you think we've done on Satanic film? It has to be like direct. Oh, I would say at least Satanism is involved. Uh, maybe five. Five? Final answer? That's a guess. It's seven, eight if you include elves. So that's- Okay, yeah, I don't include elves. No, are you sure? I don't think so. I mean, he had like a demonic origin story, potentially. Um, it's a stretch. Okay. So a solid 20% of our films as of this point have been about Satanism. I think that's more than any other category. Uh, I think that's fitting. Yeah. I love this. I, I love satanic panic stuff from the late seventies and eighties. Like, I vaguely remember it from my childhood, but mainly it's like, you know, it was before I was born, um, but I'm just fascinated by it. Like it, it really intrigues me. So movies like this that have that as sort of its, I guess, underlying ethos, you've already got me. You've already got me hooked. So when you were, um, when you were young, you'd go to church all the time, right? You were in a church family. Yes. Yes. Did they ever talk about like the dangers of Satanism? Did they ever give you like um like the infomercial spiel about how you need to avoid like the influence of evil and sin and corruption? Yeah, I mean it wasn't so direct as saying like you've got to watch out for those satanic covens. It like nothing that direct, but there was a lot of stuff about you know, be careful who you're around and what you consume and what you watch. And, um, you know, I have, I was not allowed to watch movies like this. Uh, and my mom especially was very protective and kept me very sheltered. Uh, and, you know, I remember them uh, and my mom getting upset uh, that when I befriended people who were of other religious faiths, like, it was very sheltered. But it's been a long time since then. Yes. And uh, now I enjoy watching movies like this. 
Um, I think that's what censorship does. If you try to restrict kids from watching things, then when they come of age, they go overboard. They spend thousands of dollars on VHS tapes they weren't allowed to rent. So parents, I mean, if you're listening to this broad, uh, this podcast, you probably do anyway, but let your kids watch whatever they fucking want. All right, but back to, to Demon Lover. Um, for such an inept, low-budget, obscure film, it, the people who were involved in this film and went on to be involved in other things, uh, it's... It's overwhelming. So let's go through some of the people involved. So the special effects were the first done by Dennis and Robert Skotak. Do you know who they are? No. They, after working on this movie, they went on to work for Roger Corman. And while working for Roger Corman, they got assigned to a little movie called Piranha. Actually, I think it was Piranha 2. But regardless, that movie was being directed by James Cameron. And so these two kind of tagged along with Cameron, and they went on to work on Terminator 2, Aliens, Titanic, all kinds of huge budget movies. And they're some of the most respected special effects guys in the industry now. So this was their start. Yo, given the budget, the special effects in this film are pretty good for the time i think they're pretty cool i especially like the way the demon looks i mean it looks like one of the band members of guar but uh, i like their costumes too so i thought it was fun the special effects we already mentioned um don jackson but he would go on to probably most famously direct hell comes to frog town and rollerblade both of which spawned uh, franchises, right? Like incredibly low budget franchises, but nevertheless, he's still working. Um, one of our main characters, Damien, is played by Val Myrick. He was a comic book artist, and most people assume he did the poster for this film, which is awesome, by the way. It looks like fantasy art. Yeah, so Val Myrick was really inspired by Frank Frazetta. He did all of the um, the covers of like the old uh, sci-fi and fantasy books from the 80s. He did the art for heavy metal. Yeah, um, I'm aware. So that's why the, the, um, the investigator in this movie is named Frazetta as homage to him. So Val Myrick went on to be one of the creators of Howard the Duck. Like the character period? The comic book. Oh, no. Yeah, he did the comic. <sighs> okay, to be fair, I've never read a Howard the Duck comic. My only real exposure to that character was the absolutely awful George Lucas film. Yeah, I am not, I am not a... Um, a comic book guy. I never read them either, but I, I know it's respected um, among like comic book fans, uh, whereas the movie is obviously not. Okay. So the other person we just have to talk about is Jerry Yunkins, who is our co-director 
our co-writer and plays our titular demon master or demon lover, whichever one you want to go with. Based just on his appearance, Leland, how would you describe this guy? I'm curious. Oh, do I have to? Please. Oh. All right. Can you really describe this guy without his behavior, though? That it, just what? What are your first impressions? Okay. All right. He looks like a very tall, portly nerd with like that thick kind of long hair that you could drape out into the ocean like a fishnet and bring back in like crabs and shit. Yeah, this dude has a lot of hair. It, it is it is magnificent, but it doesn't really match <laughs> the rest of them. This is the kind of guy, and he's just like this in real life, too. There is a fascinating documentary on YouTube called Demon Lover Diary. It was shot by the cinematographer of the film and mainly his girlfriend, who was behind the camera. And this was like a way ahead of its time, reality TV style. She always had the camera rolling during the entire shoot. And you get to see a lot of this dude in, in real life. And he behaves exactly like his character in the movie. This is the kind of guy who would become a mass shooter, right? Like, is that your impression? I could see that, but... um. You know, I guess I wasn't really thinking about that too much because of the time period. Uh, to me, this guy's entire character, his entire persona is like, what if that shut in nerd who lives in their mother's basement and just plays D&D and video games all day were to like self-actualize himself, right? He'd be like, yeah, and I'm going to live in a castle and I'm going to worship Satan, and demons are going to follow my orders, and I'm going to have a cult where women are going to have sex, and we're going to do magic. <laughs> that is how it came out off to me. Well, I suspect that you are spot on and that he wrote the movie that way to self-actualize. Um, he basically got to do whatever he wanted with this movie. Uh if you noticed the entire movie, he wears a black glove over one hand. Yes. That's because prior to filming this movie, he was a factory worker and he quote unquote accidentally cut off some of his fingers in order to get workman's comp of $8,000. And that's how they funded the movie. Is that real? That's real. That's real. Yes. Yo, how many fingers did he trade for 8K? I don't know. I couldn't find. I, I found everywhere between one and three. <laughs> uh, yo, like, look at your hand right now. How much would you price each finger? Uh, I'd probably give away my pinky for like a million. Yeah, I know, right? Like, 8K seems so low, e even in 1970, what, six dollars. Yeah, and, and he didn't even get a career out of this. Like, Don Jackson got a career. Uh, Jerry Yunkins, the only thing he did of note after this that I could find is he wrote Combat and Survival Knives, a user's guide. Oh. 
you can look it up. The cover is just ridiculous as it sounds. Is this like an instructional video or an actual story? It's it's an instructional book. Okay, so it's actually a book. Okay, all yeah. right. Yep. All right. Oh. Uh, yep. Combat and survival knives, a user's guide. It's an important skill. Uh, I would imagine having no like missing fingers while writing a book like that might give the wrong impression. <laughs> the final person we should probably talk about is all of the scenes at the end in the house where like people are being killed by the demon spoiler alert um yes yeah, spoiler alert there's a demon in a movie called the demon lover <laughs> well all of those scenes were shot in ted nugent's house because somehow either don jackson or jerry yunkins knew ted nugent and they wanted him to supply the guns to use in the movie, which I guess he did. But the documentary on YouTube ends with the cinematographer and the rest of the camera crew asking Don Jackson to sign a contract because this whole time they had been working for free with promise of a percentage of the movie's profits. And, but they had never gotten anything in writing. And Don and Jerry were so offended by this. It's not exactly clear what's happening in the documentary, but someone chases the entire camera crew off of Ted Nugent's property, firing guns, and they have to flee for their lives. So did they get paid? I don't know. They, the documentary doesn't doesn't talk about it? No, the documentary is not like a documentary. It's literally just the raw footage of the cinematographer's girlfriend filming everything as it happens. Wow, that's that's like some new wave shit. Yeah, there's no narration, there's no interviews, nothing. You're just watching things as it happened and it's fascinating. Like if you want to see what no budget inept filmmaking looks like watch this documentary and contrast it all right so they made this movie in michigan which is the same place that sam raimi made the evil dead equally no budget right but contrast what you can find of the making of evil dead with the making of this movie and you see the difference between talent and ineptitude it's it's just really fascinating it doesn't take like an expert to look at both of those movies and let you know which one is higher quality. I've got to watch a documentary to know that. Oh, well, for you aspiring filmmakers out there, watch the documentary and then decide if you still want to go into filmmaking. I will say, I don't like most of Don Jackson's filmmaking. Uh, I really like Rollerblade just because I think it's a blast, but I kind of hate Hell Comes to Frogtown. But he is such an asshole in, in this documentary that it makes me like him even less. Like, he's so sexist that he tries to convince the other people involved in the movie to all leave their girlfriend and wives behind so that they can answer the phones. Because someone is bound to call. What, what does that mean? <laughs> I'm sorry. What does that mean? I, I don't know. 
to they're, answer the phones. To, to yeah, they're the they're the the filmmakers are are going off to a different part of Michigan to film the movie, and they want the women to stay behind in Don Jackson's house and answer the phones. Oh, yeah. okay. But this is for like three weeks. So they just didn't need the women for the rest of the shoot. All the women ended up going because everybody else said that that was a condition. But Don, well, you know that I, I definitely think that's a great example of solidarity in the workforce. Yeah. Well, they also they they stayed in Don Jackson's mom's house during part of it, and he is a jerk to her too. But she's like an incredibly religious conservative woman and they they wouldn't tell her what the movie was about they were just like it's a it's a it's a detective movie that's all they told her and at at the end when she kind of does find out what the movie is about and and the some of the people have been chased off with guns she says i'm glad that this movie is dead i hate this movie this movie is evil I'm you all need to run because I'm I'm so glad this movie's dead. <laughs> like she was she was horrified once she found out found out what was going on. I mean, it's the late 70s, right? I and mean, this is when Satan is still super taboo. I mean, nowadays yep. it's like, you know, there's Satan and children's cartoons. You know, who cares? But then it was still a big deal. Yeah. Um, well, one other thing to say, and then let's play the trailer, is uh, Gunnar Hansen of Leatherface fame gets top billing in this movie. He's in it for maybe two minutes. They hired him for a day in order to basically put his name on the marquee. Um, but if you're going into this thinking that it's starring Gunnar Hansen, uh, you're going to be disappointed. Yeah, I was thinking he was going to be like the cult leader or the demon or something. His name in the movie is Professor Peckinpah, obviously in reference to Sam Peckinpah, the filmmaker. Everybody in this movie has uh, last names that are references to things, by the way. Um, I'm not going to get into all of them. Like You can go on IMDb and, and look at all the people's names, but they're all named after either comic book artists or other filmmakers, which gives you an idea of the interests I suspect of Jerry Yunkin. He seems like a comic book guy. No offense to comic book people, but it is just one part of the stereotype that this guy fits. Yeah, there's a lot of referential like details in nerd culture. I think it's kind of uh, tiring. I don't know. Come up with your own shit. Not everything has to be a reference to something else. In, in 1976, was Dungeons and Dragons already a thing? So Dungeons and Dragons was first published in 1974, but it didn't really get popular until the early 80s, probably 1980 on the dot. Yeah, I was just going to say, I wonder if uh, Dungeons and Dragons had been a thing, if Jerry Yunkins would have felt the need to make this movie to fulfill his fantasy, or if he could just played an evil warlock in the game. Well, let's talk about the, the video release real quick. So by far, my favorite cover of this movie was released by Unicorn. Uh, and I got my Unicorn tape by sneaking it out of my friend's uh, porn shop in the middle of the night. But 
I will save that story for another time. But I actually traded that one off. It's edited. Uh, it has the gore scenes missing. Um, I have a, a Japanese tape uh, titled Devil Master. And there's an American Regal release called Devil Master. And then there's also a release on BFPI called Coven. And that's the one I'm going to read the back of. Um, the unicorn just has the art on the back. And the Japanese one, I obviously can't read. So uh, this one says, the cover is a little bit misleading. And then it says, uh, police investigating the brutal murder of a young girl become aware of a satanic cult. The high priest of the coven takes the ritual ceremonies very seriously. But the other members, all young couples, think the orgies and black magic are all a lark. Two more girls, both members of the coven, are found murdered. Their bodies have been ripped apart as if by wild animals. Some of the other members become suspicious of the warlock. They soon fall victim to his demonic forces one by one in a very gruesome fashion. That's amazingly accurate back to the box. It is still uh, upscaled a little bit. No, but that's pretty much the story. Yeah, yeah. All right, let's play the trailer and uh, then we'll talk about the actual movie. lover more terrifying than the night of the living dead and more shocking than the chainsaw massacre The Demon Lover is a motion picture that defies the imagination. And it is the most gruesome of the horror films of the past decade. How do we explain to the press? Two girls have been ripped apart as though they were attacked by wild animals. The Demon Lover is a horror film beyond belief, even to the devil himself. It is the shocker of a lifetime. Starring Gunnar Hansen from the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. The Demon Lover explores the almost forgotten cult of devil worship and human sacrifice. My fear is that for every group like ours that meets to study the positive side of the occult, who knows how many others meet in secret to practice the evil side of psychic phenomena. and gruesome motion picture. This is the film you've been waiting for. 
The Demon Lover. Coming to this theater soon. Rated R. Whereas the back of the box is, you know, pretty accurate and reserved, this trailer is a lot of talk and shows almost all of the good scenes of the film packed within two minutes and 40 seconds. Well, if your goal was just to make enough money to start your music career then or movie career, then like that would make sense. Just it, it feels like uh, unethical advertising, right? Like, come see this film, but you're showing all of the good parts right there. Hey, I don't think Don Jackson is uh, an I don't want to say he's unethical. I don't know him, but he comes off as a sleazy moneymaker to me. But he makes some fun movies. We're going to talk about Rollerblade in the future, and uh, that's a blast, especially. But based on the trailer, I want to talk about the music real quick. So the music is done by Don Guts and Jerry Skolazinski, uh, neither of whom did any other movies, at least. Um, I think the music is pretty good. Yeah, it's one of the best parts of the film. It's... Like, there are moments where it gets a little funky, but mostly it's, like, dark synthesizer, like, Berlin School, Krautrock style. And it's it's really effective. I, I really like the music. That's so, really surprising that they haven't done anything else. Oh, maybe they had some career in music and they just didn't work on any other films. But on your on the version on YouTube, does it start with... Pamela like squirming around on the bed and getting killed yes should it not well no mine did too I just find it odd because this happens like later in the movie but they show it first right yeah they do I figured it was supposed to be like a flashback like the party was supposed to be a flashback but now that you mention it I guess the movie just kind of proceeds from there ignoring that the one scene was out of place. I don't know. Why did yeah, they do there are, there are other movies that do it, and the idea is to, like, get your attention with a gore scene right away. Like, most famously, when, when Tombs of the Blind Dead was released in the United States, they took a gore scene from the middle of the movie and moved it to the very beginning just because they thought Americans would want a gore scene right away. Well, in that case, they were right because that movie was really slow. Yeah, that uh, those movies, not to go on too much of a tangent, but the Blind Dead movies, I find the imagery of the of the Templars riding on horseback to be super eerie and and disturbing. And but the rest of the movies, uh, they're boring. It's just it's just worth it for the imagery. Great summary. There, you got a bonus episode. We just did. Yep. Tombs of the Blind Dead. So, yeah. So, we start off, we don't know what's going on, but we've got uh, the guy we've been talking about, our demon master, performing some sort of ritual, and it's making this girl, like, toss and turn and be unable to sleep. And she just has a mattress on the floor. It's really weird. But then she gets in her car and drives out someplace. And I think they just made it look like night using like a blue filter. But it actually looks really eerie. Like I think the beginning is really effective. What did you think of this? 
I'm with you in that her bedroom was really odd. Mattress on the floor, like a giant dictionary to the left with the, the pages blowing in the wind. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, that kind of got my attention. But this does this this first kill, which is uh, Barbara getting mauled by, I'm assuming, the demon that is eventually summoned. Uh-huh. It's like the weakest kill in the whole film. So I feel like it doesn't set a good opening tone. Yeah, this is literally just a rubber demon hand whacking her in the face. Yeah, you don't even see the rest of it. She's just in the woods and all of a sudden you're getting high-fived by a demon in the face. Yeah, right? and then it drags her away. And that's it. But, you know, outside of this this kill scene, I think the rest of the film actually does a really good job of working within their budget to show like a, a good amount of like violence and mayhem to, to all the other characters. Yeah. I think there are some scenes that are like laughable, but I think the demon still looks really cool in the same way. Like I said, the outfits in Guar look cool. Like it doesn't look real or anything, but I like special effects like this. I, I like when it looks like, the filmmakers used things that I could go to the spirit Halloween store and get. It gives it an odd charm to me. It makes it feel like the Halloween of my childhood. It doesn't look real, but you can tell a lot of effort was put into it. And that's what matters. Yeah. So yeah, so this scene is actually taking place like uh, 20 minutes into the movie, but we get it first. And after this, we get a party scene that introduces all the main characters. So I want to ask about one in particular. There's this guy, Paul, that looks exactly like Frank Zappa, like has the same mustache and square facial hair. It, I don't know why he looks like Frank Zappa. Like, do you think he looks like Frank Zappa in real life? Or do you think he was dressed up like this for the movie? Do you think his hair is real? I don't know. I, the mustache doesn't look real, but Frank Zappa's mustache doesn't look real. So, Frank Zappa's mustache looks real. It looks like one of those fake mustaches that someone glued on his face. All right, whatever. All right. Um, I, I, I imagine this was just like a style at the time, right? Guys with long hair in the 70s. I mean, we got our, our dungeon master, like cult leader that has long hair. This guy with the top hat has long hair. Man, I do not remember anyone's names. <laughs> so the only people you need to actually worry about are the Frank Zappa guy, the the demon lover guy, um, <laughs> Coven leader, whatever, uh, who also has really weird facial hair. He has like a, a mustache, but it's shaved in the middle. It it's like a handlebar mustache, but without the hand the, without the bar, just the handles. Some people just don't grow hair there. Uh, maybe. Um, anyway, you know what? I would not put it past this guy to actually do it to stand out. There's there's a character named Damien who, despite his devil name, is actually like one of the good guys of the film. There's, let's see who. Oh, how I almost forgot. I guess he's best described as like the nerd of the group. What is his name? I think he's supposed to be a teenager, but he's played by like a 40 year old guy. The really short guy with the glasses, right? Yeah. 
Yeah, he I thought he was supposed to have Down syndrome or something. But his name is Charlie, and we'll get to Charlie. But he becomes he plays a somewhat significant role later. And then there's a bunch of girls who don't matter because they're just there to be dispensed with. But I really like these scenes, like in the beginning where they're at um, the castle and they're dancing and talking and things like it's it's a very it gives you a very 70s vibe if all 70s people like lived out in rural areas and and dug on occult ceremonies and shit like i don't know i really like the energy of these scenes like we're missing like marijuana in this film everyone's just drinking there needs to be more drugs more hard drugs too Uh, that is an interesting observation i'm not sure so this party right this whole party is just an excuse hosted by the are we just gonna call him the demon lover i'm fine with that (laughs) yeah that's fine all right so it's hosted by the demon lover himself in his uh self so-called castle (laughs) where he lives (laughs) where he's trying to get into the local youth's good graces so that he can induct them into his satanic cult thereby uh thriving off their their energy their life force for him to project magic and control and uh what control into the world i don't know on one hand he's like trying to convince these kids that you know they have to let themselves go to like not be bound by the chains of society and then on the other hand you know he's like yes and then just serve me (laughs) yeah the the initiation into the group of of all the women requires them to give their virginity to him was it that was it spelled out like that i thought it they just had to get into an orgy oh i i imagined it he was the one who would take the virginity but i'm not sure maybe not of course okay this guy is a great example of why cult leaders need to be charismatic because without that charisma, you can't convince people to do dumb shit like this. Yeah, let's let's play the scene where he talks with Pamela during this party. Right. And again, this is before Pamela is brutally murdered by a demon hand in the woods. No, I understand what you're talking about. I'm just not dumb enough to do it. Someone must have told you what we expect from our members. What I'm asking is merely a part of the ritual. Listen, I'm here because Damien said it would be exciting. He told me it would be a spiritual experience. You taught me into dressing up like this for fun and games. I'm not participating in some wild orgy. You failed to understand my meaning. What I'm talking about is releasing and directing energy, not just screwing somebody. Trust me, Pamela. Trust you? I thought this party would be fun, but you are talking sick. You might have read all about the sharing of the virgin ceremony in your stupid mansion books. But I'm not doing anything so disgusting. There's nothing disgusting about it. Why are you so damn hung up in the retarded morality of that world out there? Your inhibitions are holding you prisoner. You're so wrapped up in chains, you'll never be free. I'm not taking part in a ritual requiring me to give out my body. I know how to find power and how to control it. 
Yours is only a small part in what I seek to accomplish. But it is integral to the whole. Damien's here. I don't think you'd like it if you knew what you were trying to get me to do. You can tell Damien or anybody else whatever you wish. But I know where I'm going and I'll have what I need to get there. When you are first seeing this, it looks like they're in some sort of vaulted room from the angle it's filmed at. But then as soon as she is thoroughly unconvinced <laughs> of the demon lover's arguments, she then ends up leaving a teepee <laughs> that's set up in the room. <laughs> yeah, this is this is like the least satanic looking decorated room of all of the films we have ever covered <laughs> and 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 mind you it's meant to be in a castle and this is in a castle right all right so after this scene the demon lover laval his name is laval no demon lover well he goes downstairs and he tries to convince all of the women to remove their clothes and the men to form a circle and they they're balking at this, and he says they're all hung up on bourgeois shit. And, and then a fight breaks out, but everyone ultimately leaves. And we see Laval really mad. He squeezes a beer bottle until it breaks, and screams about all the time wasted. But see, this is what I'm talking about. You know, drunk people being cooperative. Who's heard of that shit before? Yeah. Yeah, I guess this isn't the most reliable crowd. No. Now, if you had them like doped out of their minds, maybe you could have broke a barrier. But even with his personality, it would be hard. Like you can tell from that clip, this man isn't acting. He just walked onto the set. This is him. This is actually him. I told you to watch the documentary that this is him. And, and he wrote, wrote the movie. So he came up with all this shit. We see in the next scene, he has this naked girl with him kneeling in a circle. Who is this? I'm guessing it's just the only person at the party that was convinced with his, uh, with his sales pitch. Well, they're doing a ritual and they both drink from this chalice and he does some chanting in Latin, I think. And there's a bunch of smoke like the fog machines are on overdrive and this is where we see the the demon show up in its entirety and uh yeah it's got huge horns it's got huge red lit eyes and it's super hairy again to recap this dude was talking about release your inhibitions get away from restrictive society Come practice magic, be Satanism. One girl stays behind. What does he do? Sacrifices her to bring in a demon. Yep. And after sacrificing her, he throws down this hair. And he. this is Pamela's hair. And he says, by this lock of hair, you will know her. And then the demon says some things, but I don't understand anything it says. Oh, um, thank God. I thought I was the only one. No, no, I can't tell what this dude is saying at all. It sounds like he's talking out of like a, a like a sad lone sewer pipe. Yeah, it goes without saying the sound on this movie wasn't done very professionally, uh, which you can see in the documentary. But I like the demon voice, even though I can't understand it. 
I mean, I, you probably wouldn't understand a demon. No, but it's clearly speaking English. And the beginning of this ritual actually has something playing in the background in reverse. I have no idea what it is, but there's like a chanting that's playing in reverse. Yeah, it, it comes on now and then, especially when the demon is killing somebody. And I like this too. I like the reverse chanting in the background. Yeah, I mean, that was a big thing too back in the day where rock bands were releasing albums that had satanic messages if you played them backwards. So, you know, it's a, it's a throwback to that. Right. So Laval says to the demon, go do my bidding. And presumably this is when the demon goes and kills Pamela that we saw in the original scene. Um, oh, you know, I did understand what the last thing the demon said. He was going to kill the demon lover. He's like, I will kill you as he fades away to do the bidding. Uh-huh. So, you know, the I do like that the demon is, you know, serving him as per the agreement of the ritual, but absolutely despises him. Yeah. It's it's that old lesson, like, don't fuck with Satan. <laughs> you're not gonna you're not gonna win in the end. I don't think anyone really has the inclination that they're gonna win. They're just sacrificing like their long-term existence for short-term gains, you know? Ah, a metaphor for life. Yeah, you know, I think it's just like a gamble. See what you can get. Well, now that we've got this dead girl, we get Detective Frazetta uh, gets involved. What did you think of this character? This dude comes off uh, with a really weird introduction. He shows up to interview one of the girls that was at the party. Which one? Who knows? We don't know any of their names. And dissatisfied with her answers, he takes out a rubber band and flicks it at her while she's behind the counter at work. What the fuck? Uh, it's very strange. And this guy's acting is not distractingly bad, but at no moment do I believe that he's a police detective. No, but even though... We're both clearly not fans of him. What do you think of his wife? Uh, she's kind of cool. Yeah, I think she's a great character. She's part of like an occult society, which is how we meet the Gunnar Hansen character. They're like all psychics or witches or whatever. Um, but they look like, you know, upper class housewives. Like reg regular ass people. Yeah. It's well, not like today where you meet someone who claims to be a psychic vampire and they're decked out with like all these piercings and goth clothes. No, she, you could not look more conservative than this woman. And uh, I suspect that's because all these people were just played by like friends of the directors. And so they weren't like actual actors. They're just normal people. So now that the police are investigating... Laval begins wreaking his revenge on the rest of the coven, you know, so they also can't tell the police anything or better said the demon is doing this. Right. But there's a scene where this one girl, Elaine, she has a weird car seizure and runs over her friend. It it's very it looks like the car is sitting still and she's rocking back and forth really fast but i think we're meant to believe that the car is like jerking yeah the power of satan is moving the automobile without her um, interference 
I did find it odd that, all right, so after she runs over her friend and there's blood all over her, her, the hood of her car, she gets out and she drags the friend's body into the back seat, uh, presumably to drive her someplace. I would not be driving this car after this just happened. You know it doesn't work, or at least some supernatural force is able to take control of it. Okay, so one thing this film does really well, and it feels weird to say that the, the, the script does something well here, <laughs> but every time there is a moment where the demon attacks or a moment where everyone is stressed out, everyone's behavior is actually like pretty accurate to maybe how they would really be in a stressful situation like an actual life or death situation like you have a character witness another one's death and they like break down like they just completely shut down like all mental faculties common sense out the window and that's kind of what actually happens not everybody's trained to been or even prepared to be in situations like that Deer in the headlight syndrome is is really common, and I think it's portrayed reasonably well in this film. I, I mean, I buy that to an extent, but I would like to think that I would at least have the faculties to know that if my car beyond my control just killed my friend, I'm not going to get back in the car. Okay, I mean, actually, was it actually affecting the car? Or was it affecting her at the wheel and she couldn't control herself running over her friend? I thought it was affecting the car. But it's hard to tell. Yeah, it could be either way. But I think she's doing what would come natural to maybe half the people in the world, which is, oh my God, my friend is hurt. Let me put them in the back and try to take them somewhere out of this situation. Well, we don't know what she's going like to do there. So we don't know what she's going to do because the demon shows up and it chants some unintelligible noises and uh, presumably kills them both. I think it like animates the corpse of her friend in the backseat to strangle her. Yeah, the, the friend's body strangles her from the backseat. <laughs> After this, the... This is where the detective's wife takes him to the psychic party. And I really like this line. Someone asks him if he wants a Bloody Mary. And he says, no, I've already had a Bloody Pamela and a Bloody Elaine. And he, he goes through the people who have died. I thought that was really funny. Yeah, also very distasteful, but appropriate for this film. Yeah. But the people at the party, like some are talking about ghosts, some are talking about astral projection, and this is where we meet Gunnar Hansen. You know, my fear is that for every group like ours that meets to study the positive side of the occult, who knows how many others meet in secret to practice the evil side of psychic phenomena. Well, where do I find out about these bad groups, Prof? Ah, that would be difficult. The practitioners of evil aren't exactly listed in the yellow pages. No, I'm afraid that organizations dealing in the rights of black magic are underground and extremely secret. Phone call for Detective Frazetta. 
Who so, would think Leatherface is so soft-spoken? Oh no, he's very soft-spoken. Yeah. yeah. My 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 favorite performance of his is in Mosquito, which if <laughs> you've not seen, seen I, I highly recommend watching Mosquito. It's a really fun monster movie. I mean, you know, he says you can't find evil people in the yellow pages, but um, I'm pretty sure the main character of uh, Mind, Body, and Soul found. Uh, found that like sorceress in the yellow pages right yeah but she was a good sorceress i guess she was yeah mm. well this phone call is from damien and damien is telling uh the detective to to seek out laval blessing who is the the demon lover because damien it doesn't want anything to do with this whole business like he's done and i found it odd that the detective leaves right away he 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 sought out this professor to get like his expert advice but he doesn't get any more i guess they couldn't afford gutter hansen any longer it's entirely possible this scene was just added in at some point during production and they didn't really have anywhere to go with it yeah my understanding from the documentary is this was this was filmed very quickly, and the only purpose of it was to take advantage of Gunnar Hansen. How much do you think he made from this, like, one appearance? It couldn't have been much. But it's not like he had a huge career. I mean, it, in Texas Chainsaw Massacre, we don't even see him. He's, it, it's all... I mean, granted, I think it's a great physical performance. Um, but... He's not like a real character actor. He has the same hair, same haircut. Yeah. Yeah. So Frazetta goes off to the castle and he finds Laval in the backyard throwing knives. Have you ever, ever actually known anybody like this? Like Laval? Uh, hmm. This is the kind of person I imagine joining a white supremacist group. Yeah, I mean, you know, I don't really uh, go into those circles. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I think I have I've definitely met people with aspects of his personality, but never the whole package. That's fair. Yep. We just a... want to show off his awesome throwing knife ability. Like, right. he's been practicing this his whole life. This is his one moment to shine in this film. Yeah. He he. At first, he thinks Frazetta is, I guess, there to, like, catch him on drug charges because he's like, I, I haven't used that stuff in two years. But when Frazetta says like that's not why he's there, um, Laval has this incredibly cheesy line where he says, "If there's no hassle, let's go inside the castle." I think he thought he was really clever for writing that line. Uh. We should note they actually walk into what looks like a tower, an actual tower sitting in the woods, but it's like clearly missing part of the side of the building. So obviously nothing was filmed in there. I'm just, I just don't know what this used to be. It's obviously some kind of historical site. It might've been like a colonial outpost watchtower or something. Yeah, it is. It's very odd. But once they're inside, he sits in a chair and Frazetta is like, well, I prefer to stand. 
And so Frazetta is standing over him, looking down at him while they have a conversation. It, it's incredibly awkward. Quite a place you got here. I'm rather curious how you support all the luxury. Not that it's really any of your business, but when I was a child, my parents died and left me very well off. Okay. Uh, I'm going to have a pleasure pretty soon. Just what did you want to talk about? Okay, tell me about Pamela Kirby. Pamela? That's right, Mr. Blessing. Give me all the details. Not really any of your business, man. Well, she's dead, man, and I'm a detective from Homicide, so it is my business, man. Come on, what are you saying? You mean, you didn't read it in the papers or see it on TV? The television is here only for the amusement of casual weekend guests, and I wouldn't lower myself by subscribing to a newspaper. You mean no one even called you? You gotta be kidding me. I can assure you this is the first I've heard about it. What a shame. Such a beautiful body. Now that tells me something about how well you knew her blessing. Come on, what kind of shit is this? When I saw her body, she was lying at the bottom of a garbage pit, ripped apart. We're speculating she was attacked by a wild animal or a crazed killer. That's very strange. I mean, there aren't any zoos or circuses or prisons where wild animals would be getting loose around here. You know, this isn't uh, Africa. This morning we found two more dead girls. And I'm not at liberty to give any of the details because their bodies are still being examined and one of the girl's parents is yet to be located. But we're reasonably sure, and it's fairly obvious to me, that the three murders are related. Now, I don't have any proof, but I've heard some rumors that you've had some strange religious meetings out here. Religious meetings? Uh, does this look like a church? Have it your way, Blessing. I hate to sound like cheap thrills, but I strongly suggest you don't attempt to leave town. Come on, man. You really think I want to leave all this? <laughs> they say a man's home is his castle, but I guess you don't find that to be a joke. Incidentally, officer, how'd you find this place? It's more than a mile off the main road. That's what I get paid for. I'll keep in touch. Everything about this scene sucks. <laughs> no, but this gives you a very good idea of what the dialogue in this movie is like. And their acting looks exactly as it sounds. It's, it's abysmal. The direction in the first part is one shot but the camera alternates between the actors. It swivels back and forth as they're talking. <laughs> also, I think the worst possible suspect questioning of all time. <laughs> I also noticed in this movie, even when they're responding to like a crime scene, all the police always come alone. Yeah. I mean, in a small town, that would happen, but this is clearly not a small town. No. Also, how did you know where to find my giant fucking tower? <laughs> like, oh, no, it goes above the fucking tree line. <laughs> no, this oh is one God. of those this he's is one like, of those forgotten places. He's like, Mr. Demon Lover, I have no proof. Like, no investigator or police <laughs> officer in their fucking right mind would ever show their hand like that. <laughs> yeah. 
I, I uh, clearly this guy watched like five crime movies and was like, all right, I have a handle on this. You know, on the one hand, I think this is like a vanity project for him. But then in the neck, the next scene is the karate scene. And it's weird because at first it shows him like, you know, beating somebody up and being really successful. But then he pairs up with the teacher and gets his ass kicked like over and over again. I think it's surprising that uh, this writer, director, actor allowed himself to get beat up in the movie. Do you think he had to be convinced to put it in? Yeah. Yeah. Did the documentary say anything about that? No. A lot of the actual like scenes of the movie are not in it. And I think that's probably because like during those parts, the cinematographer was overseeing the filming. Like he wasn't, you know, with his girlfriend filming the the scene being shot. There might have also been some like copyright issues with, you know, being unable to show scenes from another movie. I don't know. This is totally karate, not kung fu, but you know, whatever. Yeah. I'm watching this again. Hey, do you think he ever washes that glove? Well, apparently they bought it for the movie and they spent like there's a scene where Don Jackson is talking to the investors and he uses that glove as an example of how hard they're working to make sure the movie's perfect because they spent so long trying to find the right glove. I will say I did not suspect he was missing fingers at all. I thought it was just like a weird nerd quirk thing. I did too until I watched the documentary. And, you know, it's on his left hand and that's like the hand of evil and it's like black. Uh, I figured it was some, some kind of satanic thing. I'm sure that's what they want you to think. So I want to talk about the scene at the gas station. There's a scene where all the other guys in the coven are, they're on their way to meet up with the girls because they're going to try to figure out what to do about Laval. And when it comes time to pay for the gas, they don't have the money so they tell the gas attendant to hold something while they go and get it. And it's a Last Supper tapestry. It, it's very weird. This is probably worth more than the gas. Well, in the car, they laugh about it like, like we really pulled one over on him. I would take a tapestry over like gas money. Yeah, yeah you could easily resell this. I think they were more... Um, common then i think this was like a thing a lot of people had in their houses i see them in thrift stores and stuff all the time these 1970s tapestries of the last supper so obviously this is supposed to be symbolic of them like abandoning christianity or god at some point at the gas station they threw away their their holy protection of sorts that might be might be reading too much into it yeah. <laughs> well, it's no less stupid than what the girls are doing. They're all in the house having a, a whipped cream fight. How bad do you think this would be for the carpet? Well, in the documentary, we see the cinematographer is pissed because it gets on his equipment. Oh, no. And ruins some of his stuff. Like completely ruined? That's what, he, that's what it seemed like. That's rough. Yeah. This doesn't seem like the kind of uh, production that would compensate him either for his damaged 
I the the implication of the documentary is they never got any money at all. I mean, I doubt this movie turned a profit. I think that's probably why it exists under so many titles and like distributors is I think they just sold the rights to it to whoever would buy it. Maybe that's also a way of getting around a contract that might have been eventually signed. Like, yeah, you can get um, a share of the profits of the demon lover, but not of the devil master or, you know, the other four titles it was released under. Yeah, maybe. I really don't know. I wish I knew that part of the story. Man, we completely skipped over the bar fight that happens after the the karate session. Yeah, I really didn't think it was necessary. Yeah, we have like that self-deprecating scene with the demon lover. And then immediately afterwards, he fights off like seven people in a street fight and gets the whole bar to to just like fight each other. Causes absolute chaos. Yeah, it, it works. He he gets away unscathed. Just like it, it's it's like a complete like a complete redo of the first scene, right? Like they just completely undo all that self deprecation. Yep. Well, after the uh, the whipped cream fight, the demon shows up, and I guess it starts killing the girls. It, it, we don't see all this, but when the guys show up, one of the girls is like. I think she speared to a tree with an apple in her mouth. I was really taken aback by this. If I remember right, the first girl dies because she's standing by a window when it's busted and she gets impaled by the glass. Right, which I I got that. And then the demon comes in and takes care of the other two. I didn't get the girl with the apple in her mouth, though. Yeah, that didn't happen until like afterwards. We don't see it. It happens off screen, but yeah. when the guys show up, she's there. I'm like, are you are you asking why a demon would set up like a like a stuck pig diorama of a person? Yeah. Do you really want to get inside the mind of the demon lover? No, it's probably dangerous. Yeah, no, I don't want to be in there. Well, the guys go in long enough to call the police, but then they drive away and officer gold shows up of course all by himself and one of the girls is still alive for a little bit long enough for gold to call frazetta and i I like it when they're on the phone frazetta says something like i'm gonna get that bastard and his wife in the background says do you cops have to talk like that and he's like who cares how i talk Oh, I love her total nonchalance to all these like murder investigations and people getting killed. He's like, if if the brass downtown paid attention to me the first time, you know, three girls would still be alive today. And she's like, yeah, whatever. And she rolls over and takes his warm spot on the bed. Yep. He's like, I'm going to investigate this mass murder scene. Okay, have a good night. She's my favorite character in the whole film. She, she I... I may not have appreciated her enough. The The guys, after they leave the girl's house, they go to the castle to get Laval. And this is when I noticed that as they're going up the staircase, there's a Nazi flag hanging on the wall. Yeah, if, if being a Satanist wasn't enough, now he's, now he's a Nazi. The, the weird thing, though, is I could imagine this guy unironically being a Nazi. 
Yeah, no, totally. And this is his way of like subtly hinting that he is okay with all this stuff. Because it's just in a staircase on the side of the wall. It's not really, no attention is brought to it really. Well, I think this was shot in Ted Nugent's house. I could imagine Ted Nugent being a Nazi too. Oh, yeah. Well, that that would explain it. Yeah. But the the room they go in at the top of the stairs, this room is fascinating to me. It's got all these faces on the wall, like like plaster faces that are all melting together. Do you think this is in Ted Nugent's house too? I don't know. I don't know if this was already there. Or they made it for the movie, but I thought it was really creepy and like wonderful. I think I think this is um, probably just the set. I don't think this is actually in his house. Oh, I don't, I don't know, man. Maybe we'd be surprised. I mean, I think they filmed it all in houses. I don't think they had like a movie set. But anyway, I just think I think these faces are awesome. That they're, definitely they're, looked like something they took the time to specifically make for this film. Yeah. But there's this chanting in the background, the like demon chanting. And I really like that too. This whole scene starts out really creepy. And then it gets kind of ridiculous. Uh, they they begin to get possessed, I guess. And Charlie, the really nerdy guy, he takes a crossbow off the wall and he shoots the Zappa guy in the crotch. Right in the dick. Right in the dick. And he like rolls around on the floor just crying in agony. And the other guys just stand there and watch. I'd either be running out of there or trying to wrestle the crossbow away from him. Obviously, this room is is cursed in some way because nobody is acting like they should. No, another guy picks up an axe and axes the other guy in the back. And uh, yeah, it, it, it suggests that they're all being controlled by Laval or by the demon. I don't know. Tell me, as a satanic cult leader, why do you even need followers when you can just do all this stuff on your own? I'm not sure because... He was talking about how he needed the whole group to not only be there, but to have sex in order to channel the energy through him as if he was a gun and he was shooting the bullet. And he goes on and on about this, but apparently all it took was sacrificing one girl. Maybe if he had more followers, he could keep sacrificing people to the demon to prevent the end of the film, essentially. Well, the only one to survive this room with the faces is Charlie. And he goes up and he kneels in front of Laval, who's doing some sort of ritual, like pouring liquids in a big chalice. And uh, he, Laval makes him drink from the chalice, which seems to kill him. And Damien shows up and the smoke machines are going like mad. Uh, and the demon comes and kills both of them. Well, Damien tries to shoot the, the demon lover, but he casts like a spell of protection, which then causes the demon to come out of the shadows and devour Damien before he could pop a shot off. Well, Frazetta shows up as everyone is being killed and he shoots the demon. But I'm not sure if the demon dies or not. Uh, we just the movie ends as other police are showing up. As soon as the detective shows up, the demon lover 
compels or commands the demon to attack the detective. But instead, the demon's not really having it. And apparently there was a limit on the amount of people he was willing to kill. Because in the, instead, he, he turns and <laughs> grabs the demon lover. And I'm assuming just instantly kills him. It looks like it does like one of those Navy SEAL like neck breaks. Yeah, it looks like he strangles him and, and laughs at him. <laughs> yeah, he's having fun. And then and he has two swords that he's holding. Two sides. They're they're like ninja turtle weapons. They're actually above the doorway as they come into the to the faces room. But now the demon's holding them and uh doing his best Raphael impression before he gets filled filled with lead from the detective's revolver. And that is enough to convince the demon that, you know, he's kind of had enough. Yeah, I, 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 I really couldn't tell if the demon died or if the demon just faded away or if the demon killed Frazetta off screen. We really don't know. It, it seems like they abruptly stopped filming, which they probably did. I mean, it's Are- a solid ending, though. You know, the, the antagonist is gone. The demon has disappeared. And we have the detective cowering in the corner, traumatized, constantly <laughs> cycling through his now empty revolver, having emptied all the shots into the demon. I think the ending is pretty good. Everything's wrapped up. Hey, having seen the documentary, I am amazed that they finished with a beginning, middle, and end. Amazed. Well, with that said, let's give reviews and final thoughts and a rating out of four. If you were to take all the different parts of a film and objectively try to assign like a an importance value to each part, I would imagine the script and the acting would be in probably number one and number two, somewhere in there. This movie has cool music, has really interesting sets, Awesome costumes, great special effects for the budget. And honestly, the, the gore effects in this film, despite the budget, are better than a lot of films that have m- much more substantial production power behind them. But the weakness of the script and the awful, awful acting really hold this movie back. So I really feel like as a B-movie... It's probably pretty good amongst B films, but if you're going to set it up next to like other things that we've watched from this time period, I I would say that this is falls short just a little bit. Uh, I I think this is probably like a one and a half star film just because all the things that I mostly will remember this film for are not things most films want to be remembered for. So originally, like when I first saw this movie, I don't know, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, what stood out to me was the atmosphere, especially of these party scenes. It really, so this movie was made in rural Michigan and it almost feels like we're getting a glimpse into uh another time and place to a profound degree like 
it really does feel like you're stepping into another world. Uh, and I feel even more so after the documentary that way. Like, I just finished the documentary earlier today, and I still feel like I'm in it, like I'm surrounded by these crazy people and it, being in these weird places, like barely scraping this movie together. The making of this movie seemed miserable. And like there's a weird, I don't know, magic to it almost. With that said, it's a terrible movie. I think every aspect of it, except maybe the music, is inept and incompetently done. But I still kind of like it. <laughs> I, I, Laval is a terrible character, the demon lover. Like I said, this is like proto-white supremacist, uh, Dungeons and Dragons, obsessy gets to make a movie and aggrandize himself sort of person um and i'm sorry if he's listening like maybe i have you pegged totally wrong um but there's i've never seen a character like him in another movie and i think that that uniqueness and originality to like there's something to that you know i'd put i'd compare this movie to a movie like like the canadian things which I don't know if you've ever seen, but it's also a totally inept shot on video movie, really atrociously bad. But when you watch it, it's like you're entering another world that you're never going to encounter again, that it only existed in that time in that place. So like a lot of the movies we cover, I don't, I don't know how to rate a movie like this. Um, I think I'm going to give it two and a half. I only like the music. Two and a half. It's, I, I mean, even I was gentler than that. I, it's not that I only like the music. It's that I think everything else is incompetent, but I still like it. I don't know. Crossbow and the Dick was was pretty well done. Yeah, I suppose. I think all again, all the the gore, the kill scenes, all that stuff were all really well done. It's just everything else was. Uh, questionable i think the demon looks really cool oh yeah I'll, the demon looks cool I'll give I, it that. I, that's in the special effects area right it's like special effects and music they got those in spades they just didn't have anything else in their hand oh well with all that said uh do you think you'd be up for another don jackson movie next week and we could do rollerblade i mean it can only go up from here right rollerblade has to be seen to be believed I don't even know where to start with the movie. Listeners, if you haven't seen it, watch it. It's it's beyond words. And is um Satan but we'll, in the roller derby? Oh, what's that? Is Satan in the roller derby? Is he is he on the, the fucking rollerblades? No. No. But, you know what? I'm not even gonna set it up. I just you watch it and I'm curious to hear your reactions. Um I said there was no words. We will try to find them for next week. But that's it for the Demon Lover, a.k.a. Devil Master, a.k.a. Coven. And we will talk with you next week about uh, Rollerblade. But until then, you can follow us on Instagram at video.store.nightmares. Please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to us. 
Uh, Leland, do you have any last words? Thank you for your continued support. Beautiful. We will talk to you next week about Don Jackson's Rollerblade.